Hey everybody, thanks so much for downloading the podcast. Quick note before we get started, this is your official spoiler alert, okay? If you have not watched The Invisible Man, I highly, highly, highly encourage you to go watch that movie. It's a wonderful film. I highly encourage you to go watch it before you listen to the podcast. So if you have not seen The Invisible Man, go watch it. Come back to us afterwards for our thoughts on it. Coming up, I have fellow IU student Morgan Ludwig with me, and we are going to be talking about a film that definitely took a lot of people by surprise. It's a 2020 horror thriller about Cecilia Cass, a woman who begins to believe that an invisible figure is stalking and threatening to kill her after a traumatic experience from her past. I am, of course, talking about one of the very few films that had a theatrical release in the year 2020, The Invisible Man. That's coming up next on The Cinemaniacs. Everybody and welcome to the Cinemaniacs, the show for the Maniacs for Cinema. I am your host, Jack Lindner, and in the guest chair today with me, we have fellow IU student Morgan Ludwig. Morgan, how are you today? I'm fantastic, Jack. Thank you so much for having me on today. Of course. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. I'm really, really glad that you were super interested in it. So, uh, yeah, without further ado, let's just get started with it. Um, I want to go back to what I was saying earlier in the intro. Like I said, this is one of the very few films that had a theatrical release in the year 2020. Were you able to see this movie in the theaters? And if not, when was the first time that you saw this movie? And really, what were your what was your initial takeaway from it? Yeah, I actually was not able to see it um, during its theatrical release. Uh, funny story, I actually just watched it two days ago. Oh, really? Because after I got the email that this was the episode I was going to be on, I was like, oh, crap, I've not seen this movie. Oh, really? So I just went, rented it off Amazon and then watched <laughs> it like two days ago. So at least it's fresh in my mind. That's a... That's what I've got going for me. <laughs> okay, so what was your initial takeaway then from this movie? So I typically don't really like horror movies. Okay. Uh, because to me, almost all the mov- horror movies I've seen before are you know, a little bit cheesy. Mm-hmm. The narrative isn't super in-depth. It's almost very predictable. So I was pleasantly surprised when I watched this. I thought it, not only was it very sus- suspenseful and very scary, but it was also had a really nuanced, a really deep, and, and a really incredible story that was uh, really engaging and fun to follow. So absolutely, absolutely. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it, I felt the exact same way when I first saw it. Um, I actually, the first time I saw it was a couple months ago. I was, I also did not have the chance to see it in theaters. Um, yeah, everything with COVID and this movie, it's just such a strange story. I don't know how much you know about the backstory of this movie, but it's a really crazy story and how this movie was released and then how it was put on. Um, it, it was put on streaming services and stuff like that. I mean, we'll eventually get to all that, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's... It's a crazy, it's so crazy what happened to this movie as it was being released and just everything that was going on in the world at the time. So it seems like so long ago, but really it was only, what, maybe a year and a half ago now at this point. So it's pretty cool, though. It's pretty cool how they were able to adjust with it. And yeah, going back to what you were saying, it's such an original story, even though it is both an adaptation and a remake. Yeah. It's uh, based off the H.G. Wells novel uh, and... I should really say loosely based off of it. You yeah, know? for sure. It's a remake, but the best part about it, I think, is that Lee Winnell, the director, and his whole team, they go in a completely different direction with it, you know? They go out of their way to make this film wholly their own. And 
and I still I think it's really cool though that they still take the time to acknowledge uh, certain parts of the original film, like uh, the scene where Cecilia wakes up in the middle of the night, and there's that little figure right there at the edge of her of her uh, mm-hmm. of her bed. That's also a nod to the original, and then also when she's in the hospital. Uh, the guy with the bandages over his face that was also a nod to the original. I don't know. Have you seen the original? Uh, I've not seen the original, but I've seen like clips of it. I've not mm-hmm. seen the full film, but yeah. I've seen clips of it, like analyzed it in different classes and stuff. So I did recognize the little nod in the hospital with, yeah, with the yeah, bandage man. Definitely. I, really, I enjoyed that. That was fun to watch. <laughs> but yeah, so it, I thought it was also a fun uh, kind of uh, twist on it is that the original novel and the first film, obviously it all focuses on the Invisible Man, the doctor behind it, but this movie decides to take it into a different direction and they decide to focus on the victim. They decide to focus on who the Invisible Man is impacting and making the Invisible Man more of uh, more of an afterthought, kind of. Not even an afterthought, really, but it, it's such a fun direction to take this story and I think Lee Winnell and his team did such a great job uh, trying to make this film wholly their own, even though it was an adaptation, really. And... Going a little bit further into it, this film is probably one of the most well-accomplished f- uh, film of 2020 from in my eyes mm-hmm. in terms of the filmmaking. Yes. It's so well shot and the camera work and the writing and everything about it. I could literally go on for about two hours about yes, this whole thing. Me as well. I'm I, I'm kind of a um, my my like focus here at IU is in like cinematography. Yeah. So to me, what stood out the most was how effectively. They used the cinematography Definitely. to just ramp the suspense up to the max. It was so tense. It looks so different mm-hmm. from a lot of other films that we've seen, you know. And like you were saying at the top, it's nothing quite like we've ever seen in a horror movie before. Yeah, 100%. And so do you know how they shot those certain scenes, you know, like in the kitchen fight scene or like the hospital the hospital scene, like how the camera moves like that, you know? I've seen um, behind the scenes of the kitchen fight scene. Mm-hmm. Um with like the the guys in like the green morph suits yeah. that are like the green screen out to be the invisible man that was that's so interesting it is yeah and the camera and what it's hooked up to uh, and I'll get into it a mm-hmm. little bit more just cuz it's kind of more of like a kind of like a behind the scenes cor- yeah. sort of thing you know i thought it was super cool yeah. but yeah just like how the camera is in the simplest forms it was hooked up to like a robotic type of camera so instead of like a person operating where it goes they basically put it on like certain timestamps. So like at this point, the camera's going to move here. Oh, really? And like it basically moved all on its own. I thought that was just so cool. So and every scene was perfectly choreographed. Exactly. So basically, I don't know if you did marching band in high school or anything like no, that. I, didn't. I did not, but <laughs> I thought the, I thought the, uh, the comparison was super, w- was super accurate with it. Basically yeah. a producer or a camera operator or somebody like that would be behind the camera and they would be telling Elizabeth Moss and the actor playing the invisible man, they would basically be telling them, like, giving them beats and things like that. So, like, it would go, like, one and uh, two and uh, three. And on certain beats, they had to be in certain places because wow. this camera's moving all on its own, you know. And I just thought that was so cool. Yeah, I thought it was really awesome. Yeah, the the finished product definitely looked it, – it didn't look like the camera was responding to the action. It looked like it was, like, perfectly predicting it. So that makes definitely. a lot of sense. Everything was way more choreographed out than I, definitely. Than I originally thought it was. And, like, going along with that, still with the camera – it's super cool how the editing process made it look, though, too, because not only is it does it move really cool, but it also makes it look like one long take. And mm-hmm. being honest, I'm a sucker for long takes. Yeah. I absolutely love it. I love just, like, being able to catch so much action in just one single take, you know. And obviously it wasn't a single take. It was a lot of different things edited together. You know, there's certain stunts where it's a stunt double, uh, certain uh, shots, I should say, where it's a stunt double. But... I, 
even through all of that, I thought the editing and the camera work, everything with that is just so well done in this movie. I thought it was great. Yeah. To me, my, my favorite aspect of the cinematography um, of the film was how they would frame the shots like, you know, like a two shot, like mm-hmm. a like an over the shoulder two shot where two yeah. characters would be talking. But there wouldn't be someone in yes. the other spot because that's where the Invisible Man is. So exactly. it just it, you leave, they leave so much negative space, which in any other film would just be like, why do we have this? Mm-hmm. But the implication of it is because there's another character there. You just can't see them. I'm so, and it ramps up the suspense. to Oh, it's so good. I'm I love it. I'm so glad that you brought that up because, yeah, it, this movie, honestly, is a master class on how to use the camera. I, so I agree good. 100%. It's so good to see it throughout. Like you said, all the negative space. Mm-hmm. You can't see anything there, but there is a character there technically, you know? Yeah, and they never, they never confirm nor deny necessarily if there's the character there. Yeah. So you're always left wondering, you know, is she... Is she just, like, imagining that something happened over there? Is he actually there? Mm-hmm. I also love how long they let the film go before they actually officially, like, announce that there's a person there. There's yes. actually the person there. If I remember correctly, the first time that we ever become confident that there's another person is with the stovetop when he burns yeah. the eggs, right? Yes. And all yes. you see is the fire just turn up the intensity of the fire just a little bit on the stovetop. Yeah. And that's the first time you're like, oh my God, there's actually a character That's here. absolutely correct, yeah. And it, uh, there's another small part in that scene where uh, she's like cutting up like uh, peppers or onions or something mm-hmm. like that. I can't remember what it is, but she's cutting something up and she sets the knife down. And I had to rewind it the first time I watched it. And she sets the knife down and the knife falls off the countertop. And at first, I thought it was just like a mess up or something like that about the actor. Yeah, I didn't even notice that. The knife falls off the table. And at first, I was like, wait, did something happen there? So I went back. And it's actually, she sets it down. It's perfectly still. And then as she's walking away, it just flies off. And it's just, oh, my gosh, it's awesome. I love it. so good. Yeah, that scene is definitely the first instance where we know for a fact that something's off here. Yeah. You know, and I'm glad that you brought up, uh, like, the negative space and things like that, too. Mm -hmm. Because another shot that I really love is after Cecilia... Uh, gives James and Sydney the ladder and he tells her that she's going to go to college because she opened up the bank account for her. There's that one shot where it's the camera looking down the hallway. Yes. And it sees them celebrating. And at first, when I watched it, I was like, oh, okay, you know, whatever. But then when I went back, I'm like, oh, that's there for a purpose. (laughs) 100%. Yeah. I love how the camera will sometimes take the perspective of the Invisible Man. Yes. Because that, that, it, because like I was mentioning before, you don't always until like the latter half of the movie you don't always know exactly whether or not he's there or not mm-hmm. but the camera will oftentimes confirm that by jumping to his perspective definitely yeah and you see them through his perspective and mm-hmm. oh it's messed up because in the shot before you see where he is but there's no one there cuz he's invisible yeah exactly so you spend the entire shot before looking at this this dead space thinking nothing of it and then mm-hmm. when we jump to the perspective of of him you realize that he was there the whole time. Exactly. And it's so it's such a fun rewatch too. Mm-hmm. Like cuz the first time I, I was saying a little bit of it earlier, you know, the first time you watch it, you don't think much about it, you think more about the story, you're focused on how how this movie is going to end, you know, because it's such a different adaptation. But then when you rewatch it, you notice all these small things like you've been exactly. saying, you know, just all the small hints with the camera and it's just so good and it's so well made and I love it. Uh going on a little bit more Lee Winnell an amazing, amazing film that he directed. Originally, he is a writer, though. Mm-hmm. He is a writer. And the writing in this film is, to me, just as good as the camera work and the editing and everything else about this film. The way that this story is put together is so good. You know, he takes the time to set up the characters and make sure that they're likable, you know. And as I was saying earlier, this movie is a masterclass in camera work. This movie is also a masterclass in writing 
and how is more specifically setup and payoff. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean, because there's so many instances in this movie where he sets something, he sets one thing up, you know, and it seems small and insignificant, but it's actually foreshadowing something huge in the end of the movie. I mean, some there are so many different instances of Chekhov's blank in this movie. You know, mm-hmm. the the air duct in the beginning scene. Uh, the fire extinguisher that Sydney uses to put yep. uh, to put out the fire. I there. loved that bit. Oh my gosh! And then yeah, she comes back to use the fire extinguisher at the end to, so like she could finally see him. You know the uh, the paint. He's he's painting the yeah. walls, and then she uses the paint to to then she expose uses, him. Exactly. So yeah. good. There's so many instances of setup and payoff throughout this thing, and not only that, but there's also like many different parallels and like repetitions throughout this thing too. You know, mm-hmm. like like one of the biggest thing, a few of the bigger things that I can think of is like. Using the security camera footage, you know how she's running away from the house and it's, it cuts to that one security cam footage of yes. her? That's used against her like to make her look guilty. But then in the end, during the dinner scene, it cuts to one of Adrian's house's cameras and that's used to help her then. Oh, that's like. so true. I didn't realize that. I didn't put that together. It's so many, uh, like I said, there's just so many parallels and repetitions mm-hmm. throughout this thing that it's just so well-crafted and it's so well-made. And I'm sure a lot of those were also, I'm sure some of them were probably made up not made up on the spot, you know, but like they thought of those like, oh, what if we cut to this, you know, and we can use that later on. And so it's just so, it's so good. And I think the biggest thing about this movie is I think it chose the perfect themes and social commentary to use mm-hmm. with The Invisible Man. It's such a great thing to tie it to, especially with the Me Too movement going on. And it's so, it, it ties in so well with The Invisible Man because, you know, it, the biggest thing, uh, the biggest theme of it is, you know, how a lot of abusers are invisible to the world around them. They're invisible yeah. to the people around them, except for the victim. The yeah. victim's the only person that can see the true self, and I think it's just so good. It's it, it's a beautiful symbol, and it's the fact that that um, the director was able to take a classic story and kind of morph it into having a deeper meaning like that mm-hmm. was was really awesome to me. Definitely for me to see. Yeah, Absolutely. I really I really appreciated that Absolutely. that symbolism. And you know, and I'm sure you've heard of it, the the phrase "show don't tell." Oh yeah, in filmmaking. Yeah, this movie also is able to pull off the opposite too, because Lee Winnell trusts his actors so much, he's able to pull off "tell don't show," and the what I mean by that is, is like he just lets his actors do their thing, and he lets them tell the audience what's going on. Because in this movie, we don't see any of the prior abuse. The closest thing that we get to seeing of the abuse that Adrian uh, conflicts on Cecilia is at the very beginning when he's like banging on the car window mm-hmm. and stuff like that. That's the closest we ever get to it, really. So we don't see the past terms of their relationship. And the only way that we know is what Cecilia tells us. And just based off of Elizabeth Moss's performance alone, we sympathize with her and we see how damaged she is from this abuse. Lee Winnell doesn't need to cut to a different scene where he's verbally abusing her, or mm-hmm. maybe even physically abusing her in some points, you know? And I think that's so well done on Winnell's part and mainly Elizabeth Moss's mm-hmm. performance is just phenomenal. Her performance is what carries a lot of weight in this movie too. Yeah, I also, um, to comment on that, I also think that that choice not to give any specifics on the type of abuse that was happening almost makes us sympathize with Cecilia's character more because mm-hmm. it leaves the audience to imagine what could have been happening to her. Definitely. And based off of what we see of her after she escapes, you know, stuck in the house, paralyzed by fear, can't even make it to the mailbox. Mm-hmm. You know, we we really imagine some some pretty horrific stuff that it probably is. happened to her. It is, yeah. And to, to go off of that as well, one of my favorite characters in this film 
is actually Adrian's character. Oh, really? Not because he's a good guy or at all. No, he's really? a dickhead. But <laughs> I think it was so amazingly written because um, when you finally – you spend the entire film, he doesn't talk until that very mm-hmm. last scene. And the first time you hear him talk, you're almost shocked because of how, like – kind and caring he seems Mm -hmm. and i think that's a perfect representation of abuse because like you said before often they're invisible to the outside world because they seem like like normal nice people um but he's you know from from previous things that happened like how much of a monster he is so when you finally see him and he is acting all you know like charming and nice and caring and oh i made you this dinner like please i want to make you feel comfortable and safe He's it's trying to really, it's really scary. It's he's really trying to reel her back in. He's exactly. just gaslighting her over and over and yeah. over again throughout this movie. You know, it's and I totally agree with you there. It's, it's so creepy to see how nice he's being there mm-hmm. in that final scene. He's trying to make things up with her, and again, Oliver Jackson Cohen's performance. Just he's in maybe like he's physically there in maybe like five minutes of the yeah, total screen time, but he makes every minute count yeah, with him on 100%. screen. And it's just so great, you know. Uh, but uh, going a little bit more on the writing there, this movie, I don't mean to jump on a different movie that I'm going to be talking about later on in the podcast, but this movie breaks a lot of the conventional slasher genre rules, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, what I mean is just, like, the biggest example I can find is when the Invisible Man kills Cecilia's sister Emily in the restaurant. One of my favorite scenes, if yeah. not my favorite scene of the movie. Yeah, because it takes you so much by surprise. Oh my gosh, yeah. You don't expect it because, you know, when you're watching a horror movie, it's like, oh, they're in public, they're they're safe. Exactly. You know, like, they can't hurt them. But then when Al uses the concept of the Invisible Man, he's like, let's use it to our advantage. Let's break this rule and show the audience they're not even safe in public either. Yeah, that's 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 true. And I'm just kind of realizing this now as you're talking about it. But what's so tense about the movie is nowhere is safe. Mm-hmm. Like the comfort of your own home, no, it's that's the scariest place you can be. Yeah. Nowhere is safe because of just the nature of the antagonist of the monster. Exactly. It's it's just so well put together, mm-hmm. you know. And talking a little bit about Lee Winnell, I do you know much about uh, his past uh, career just as a writer, director, and even part of actor? Not too much. I do know that he had some, some part in some other horror movies. Oh, yeah. Um, I think Saw, right? Did yes. You Saw? So he was actually the writer, the original writer of the Saw movies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, James Wan? Yeah. So he's a staple in, staple in, the, uh, in the horror genre. So Winnell wrote... Uh, the film saw and uh, James Wan directed it. That was like their first movie together. They're good buddies and all that. Yeah, he, wasn't that like a college thesis project? I think part of it was for, uh, yeah, like a thesis project or something like that. But I think they both loved the concept so much that they wanted to make it into a feature. Yeah. And honestly, uh, I love the first saw. Oh, just I, I do as well. I love the saw franchise. To go off, to go off a little bit. Uh, I, I, the rest of the franchise, I'm not too keen on it, but like I, I like the uh, so I shouldn't say I like uh, the motivations behind uh, the Jigsaw Killer is just so it's something that we had never seen before, and I think yeah. that's just what keeps drawing me back into it. Even if I don't like the subsequent movies, I like that first movie. I think it's super well made, and I won't reveal it here, but that twist at the end of the first movie, oh yeah, blew my freaking mind. That's oh, probably yeah. that's probably another reason why I keep going back to it. <laughs> uh, but anyway, back to the Invisible Man. But yeah. It's it's so funny because it feels like for the entirety of Lee Winnell's career, he's always been considered like a B-level type of director or writer just due to the Saw franchise. Yeah, because you know? kind of like what I was saying originally, when I approached this movie, I had that that preconceived idea that it was going to be, you know, just a cheesy 
horror movie. And that's mm-hmm. kind of the type of movie he had established himself yeah. as making. So so when I approached this movie, I was expecting, you know, some some slashers, some some cliches, mm-hmm. you know, not too scary, kind of more of like a fun to watch movie. Definitely, definitely. But he takes this movie and he shows everybody. He shows like, hey, no, I can be a big time director oh, yeah. here. I can make a huge movie that's super successful and also has something important to say, you know, and I think that's super admirable. And it's so funny because he's always been this, like like I said, this B-level type of director. But now it seems like his buddy James Wan is, like, borrowing uh, borrowing some of his techniques, you know? I mean, there's something in the new movie that he just released, Malignant, where I thought, like, I'm pretty sure that was from uh, The Invisible Man. I'm pretty sure Lee Whannell did it first. But, you know, still love James Wan. <laughs> uh, and one final quick thing just before we get to the categories. I just wanted to mention this. I feel like the Google synopsis for this film totally gives away, like, half the entire movie. Like, yeah, I, I've not read the, the Google synopsis. So. I've got it right here. And I feel like if you had read this before uh, you watched the movie, it would have totally given away a lot of stuff. So here's what it says. It says, quote, after staging his own suicide, a crazed scientist uses his powers to become invisible to stalk and terrorize his ex-girlfriend. When the police refuse to believe her story, she decides to take matters into her own hands and fight back. Now, technically, yes, that's what this movie is about. But with that first line about... Uh, Adrian staging his own suicide, that gives away, like, half the movie really to does, me. Because, yeah. like, you spend the entire first half, maybe even three-quarters of this whole movie, wondering, like, is Adrian actually alive? You know, because you're told in the beginning, like, yes, he committed suicide. Yeah. But you spend the whole entire first half and three-quarters of this movie going, like, well, yeah, I mean, could it be Adrian? I don't think it is him because, you know, he's dead. Yeah, and as I mentioned before, they take so long to finally give that payoff of, yes, there actually is someone there. Yes. So re- if I had read that synopsis, I would have approached probably the first 30 to 45 minutes of the movie completely differently because I would have known that obviously there is someone there. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually really glad I didn't read the Google synopsis because that would have ruined the whole it, suspense it, of the first it, 45 minutes. Yeah, it literally takes away so much suspense of it because if you know that he staged it, then it's like, yeah, this scene isn't as scary because, I mean, I think he's there, you know, so that's yeah. kind of it, you know. So... For all my listeners out there, if you're still listening at this point and you haven't watched the movie, don't read the Google synopsis. Just go watch the movie. <laughs> yes. It's totally worth it, I promise. All right, so we're going to move on to the categories that we have here. First, I'm just going to hit on box office and budgets and things like that. This movie was originally made for $7 million, and it made $143 million at the box office worldwide. And keep in mind, $143 million, that was only for three weeks. This movie was in theaters for three weeks before being pulled due to the COVID-19 pandemic and being released on digital streaming services. That's still amazing to me that it made this amount of money in just three weeks. I mean, it doesn't sound, it seems like it could be a long time, but really it isn't that long, you know? Yeah, no. And most of that money comes in from the weekends, you know, Friday yeah. through Sunday. Yeah, that's no when most really people goes, go to the movies. Yeah, no one really goes to the movies during the week. So that's yeah. that's really only like six days. Mm-hmm. And so. it's kind of funny though, because this movie could have actually not been in theaters at all because apparently it was originally supposed to be released to be released on March 13th. Oh, that that was like the first day of the pandemic, right? Yeah. That was like when it was, everything shut down. Was exactly. That it was supposed to be uh, released on March 13th, but early in the production's history, they actually decided to move it up by two weeks uh, for someone, uh, I think just because the movie, uh, I think the studio thought the movie was going to do well, you know, so they decided to move it up mm-hmm. just a little bit. Those two weeks gave them $143 million yeah. there, which is kind of funny. 
Uh, critics rating, IMDb gave this a 7.1 out of 10. Do you think this movie needs to be higher or lower, or do you think that's a, a good rating for it? IMDb is notoriously very hypercritical yes. of their movies. Um, but nonetheless, I still think it deserves higher than a 7.1. I totally agree with you. I definitely think it needs to be at the very least, at the very least, an 8. Yeah, there, I would agree. There could be some things you could you, you kind of nitpick at, but... This movie is just phenomenal, I thought, at least. Going on the opposite, spectru- uh, opposite spectrum, Rotten Tomatoes seems to be very lenient with a lot of movies. You know, this movie yeah. has a 91%. What do you think on that one? So is that their official rating or is that the audience rating? That's what, if you Google it, that's what it says right there, 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. So I'm thinking, to me at least, I think that's mainly a lot of audience scores and things like that. Not, yeah. not officially a lot of critic scores, though. So, Yeah, I... I... I would say for Rotten Tomatoes, I'd say that's a pretty good rating for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. Rotten Tomatoes also sometimes can be really hypercritical if that is their specific rating. Mm-hmm. So I actually think that for them, that's a higher rating than I would have expected them to give. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, I do think it deserves that rating. So Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. As far as awards and nominations go, the oh, Oscar- snubbed. Oscars <laughs> just said, no thanks. Yeah. No thank you. We, we, we saw it, liked it, no thank you. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean... When I didn't see it at the Oscars, I wasn't surprised because I hadn't seen it by mm-hmm. the time that I watched the Oscars since I just watched it like two days ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I wasn't surprised not to see it at the Oscars originally, but now that I've seen it, I'm very upset that it didn't at least make a couple nomination appearances at the Oscars. Yeah, I might be pretty biased right now just because I had to rewatch it this week and things like that, but mm-hmm. I absolutely think that it should have at least gotten a few nominations, if not for Elizabeth Moss's yeah, performance. Yeah, I think Elizabeth I mean, Moss should have gotten a nomination she, for sure. She's just incredible in this movie. I had actually only ever seen her in uh, Jordan Peele's Us. That was the only other time that I had seen yeah. her. I've seen a couple of episodes of Mad Men, um, which uh, she's mm-hmm. in, but other than that, just Us was the only thing I'd seen. Yeah, and I, I, I had full confidence thinking that she was going to be great in this movie just because I'd heard so many good things about it when I first saw it. And when I first saw it, she just totally like blew all my expectations away she yeah. was she's just great in this movie she's phenomenal and i mean really if anything going back to what we were talking about earlier with all the accomplishments that it makes in terms of filmmaking oh yes i think a cinematography nomination yes should have been there as well yes i totally agree i definitely think it should have at least gotten a nomination for cinematography just because of how just because of how different it looks you know and that's not just to say like anything that's different should be awarded mm-hmm. for it this movie does it so well and it's pulled off in phenomenal ways, you know. So I just, I definitely think it should have gotten at least a little bit of love for the Oscars, just in terms of like at least a nomination or something for anything, you know. So I don't know. But going on to the production history and the timeline for this movie, uh, I think I asked you earlier, do you know a lot about the production history for this? Not really, no. So the biggest thing that, the biggest thing about this movie coming to life was that Universal actually originally planned a big giant cinematic universe that they were going to call the dark universe Hmm. and i thought that was just so interesting they had a whole plan for this whole thing and it's so crazy to see like how this could have turned out you know so like i said it was going to be reboots of their classic monster movies and stuff like that these were some other projects that they had on the table for it and these were also a couple of the actors that they had Mm -hmm. uh, in mind for it they were going to remake dr jekyll and mr hyde with russell crowe uh, Frankenstein with Javier Bardem, 
Oh, that would be good. That would have been good. I thought that would be really good, well, actually. I, I can't believe I've not heard of this. They had a whole plan for a cinematic universe based off horror movies? Yes. That, That's I, so interesting. It sounds so cool and so interesting, but it, we'll, get, we'll get to it in a second why it failed so much, though, okay. and like why it didn't come to light. And then the last one, this was only a rumor, but this is from ScreenRant.com. This is only apparently a rumor, but they were also going to remake The Bride of Frankenstein and have Angelina Jolie play that role. And I just thought that was so cool and so interesting there, just to see, like... In an alternate reality, how would this have gone out if they decided to go through with it, you know? Yeah, so it's – but it's failed, you said, right? Yes, it's, yes. It's going nowhere? Yes, it did. And the reason being was because of the reboot of the movie The Mummy with Tom Cruise. Did you ever see that movie? Oh, yeah, I remember that. I did not see it, um, but I do remember seeing that in, like, uh, like trailers and stuff. I never saw it either. It didn't look very interesting to yeah, me no. just because of how Universal had this whole thing planned. So that technically was the starting film – for this whole cinematic universe. But it was such a critical and financial failure that literally after this movie came out, they just scrapped all plans with it, you know, they they canceled everything and they just decided to start from scratch on different things, you know. The plan then became less star power and less CGI and more on like low budgets so they can make a profit and things like that. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to focus on directors with exciting visions, and I definitely think they succeeded with this one with so, Luanel. So that's where this movie was born. Yes, out of the failure of this dark universe. It literally was born out of the failure of this dark universe. That's yes, so, yes, yes. That's so interesting. And going back to it a little bit, in the original plans for this movie, who do you think they had in mind for the Invisible Man? Do you have any idea at all? Oh boy, you're putting me on the spot here. Um, <laughs> take a take a random a guess. Wild guess. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a hint. He's known for his kind of, not necessarily crazier roles, but very wacky roles that he plays in a lot of different movies. He's in a lot of Tim Burton films. Uh, oh, that's got to be Johnny Depp, right? Johnny Depp was originally lined oh up to play gosh. the Invisible Man. <laughs> this was all in the original Dark Universe draft of it. So after all of this happened, they scrapped it all and they realized, like, hey, we're going for lower budgets. We can't get Johnny Depp anymore, so wow. they had to can- they had to cancel that idea then. And so I just thought it was so. I crazy. mean, the movie probably would have turned out completely different because it would have. if you if you spend the money to get a big name like Johnny Depp on the film, the character of the Invisible Man probably would have been a lot more prominent in the film, and it would definitely have, it probably wouldn't have been Cecilia's character that was the protagonist. You have an incredible point, and I did not even think about that. That's yeah. such a good point. Um, but yeah, so that's basically kind of like the whole the whole background of this whole thing. I mean, the only other thing is that after they decided to go for a low budget, Jason Blum, who's the uh, creator of Blumhouse Productions, super known for all of its horror movies that they've made. Yeah. After they decided to go for lower budgets, Jason Blum came in. He's like, "Hey, I'll 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 do this," you know. So picked up the script. He he signed on to do it. Then they signed on Lee Winnell and then Elizabeth Moss and so on and so forth. So that's kind of how this this whole movie was born. And it's a crazy, crazy story how it all started there. Yeah, that is crazy. How many things had to fall into place for it to become the cinematic masterpiece that it is now? Exactly, exactly. All right, well, we were going to move on to best scene. Do you have a list of some of your uh, more favorite scenes from this movie? And do you have a winner? Yeah, my, I mentioned before that my favorite scene has got to be the the restaurant scene. Mm-hmm. It was so shocking to me. Yeah, I love. I absolutely. One of my favorite things in movies is, um, like characters' reaction shots to things mm-hmm. instead of like the line. I love the reaction shot to it. Mm-hmm. And the shot where Elizabeth Moss Cecilia is talking, and it cuts back to her sister. I forget the sister's name. Was it Emily? Yes. Emily, yes. Right. When Emily is talking, and all of a sudden her eyes like widen and her eyes <laughs> jump over to. 
to right next to Elizabeth Moss's head, and you were like, what is she looking at? <laughs> Cuts back, and there's just a knife floating there. Just oh my right gosh. by her head. She's like, what, what are you looking at? Yeah. What are you looking at? And then it's right there. Oh. And then it just slashes across the screen and just comes right back into her hand. Oh, I'm shocked. I was like jumping out of my seat. Exactly. It was incredible. I love that scene too. And I, I think another part that I love so much, mm-hmm. I was like, eh, you know, that doesn't really quite kind of make sense, but I'll suspend my disbelief a little bit. There are a couple things, you know, similar to this that I'm just like, how is that possible? You know, if it's just one guy and then all of a sudden it pulls that, the rug out from both of us. And it's like, oh, it makes so much more sense then if there's two guys. It makes yeah. so much more sense then. Yeah, and I love, as we were talking way back at the beginning, the setup payoff. Yeah. you early, Pretty early on. I mean, I, I won't say too early on, but somewhat early on in the film, you you realize that there are two suits. Mm-hmm. And that just expands the, the possibilities of what is going on. Definitely. So much. Yeah. And, it, yes, I totally agree with you. Totally agree. Okay, uh, any any other scenes that you have on your list? Uh, that you loved and that you enjoyed and that you want to include. The the final scene is really good. Yeah. Um, I love the parallel between how um, Adrian slits her sister's neck, so mm-hmm. she slits Adrian's neck. Yes. <laughs> and um, and I I am a sucker for scenes where, like, really specific kind of cliche scenes where two characters know something and mm-hmm. then just like pretend it didn't happen. Yeah. So I love when the cop. Um, what's his name? I forget his, the the character's name. The, oh, the oh, uh, James. James. Yeah, when he he runs up after she's just murdered Adrian, mm-hmm. and she's like, you know, he committed suicide, right? And he's like, what? No, you killed him. And she's like, nah, he committed suicide. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He there committed so, suicide. There are so many things in that scene where like nobody's quite saying anything out front, whether yep. it's Adrian or Cecilia or James. Nobody's quite saying anything. It's like, yeah, that this happened. This happened. Yeah. And they're like. Yeah, yeah, that happened. And it's, it's just so it's, good, you know, yeah, just trying I, I to cover love their tracks. Like that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Where it's so obvious that they both know exactly what's going on, but mm-hmm. they both just choose to, to accept a different story. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so my list that I've got, mm-hmm. uh, so I have Cecilia telling her story, just the whole monologue that Cecilia gives to James and Emily just about how Adrian – Adrian and his abuse in their relationship. I just love that scene just for Elizabeth Moss's performance. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's just phenomenal. She's great. She does that monologue perfectly. I, I, it's it's kind of a cliche thing to say, but really I couldn't imagine anybody else giving that performance. Yeah. I mean, I feel like she was just so perfect for that role. I think a lot of other actresses could have done a really good job with it, but nobody could quite pull it off quite like Elizabeth Moss. I yeah. thought she was just so good. Elizabeth Moss is incredible at looking just so defeated yes if that makes sense especially yeah after that uh after the restaurant scene too yeah just just rock bottom just taps into a deep emotion of just Mm -hmm. pure hopelessness definitely definitely uh okay some some other scenes that i've got real quick i'll just rattle them off uh the kitchen fight scene i love that whole scene and how it was made like you said the behind the scenes stuff cinematic master class yes yes super interesting there uh i also have the restaurant the restaurant scene I love the scene with Tom and Cecilia in the hospital where he's telling her, he's like, agree to have the baby and go back to him and I can make all this go away. Oh, now, yeah. Now, the logistics of it, if you really think about it, it's like, can you really make like a murder charge go away? But I'll, I'll suspend my disbelief there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, just again, both actors in that in that scene are just so good and it's just so compelling just to watch those two kind of go back and forth with each other on that whole scene. I love it. Uh, the hospital escape scene is so good. You know, it's, it goes from a horror movie and has one quick bit of action there. And that whole scene mm. is so good. 
And like I was saying earlier, it makes it all look like one huge take, and I just yeah. thought it was so good, and it's just, oh, it's great. Yeah, I loved the, um, uh, right after the hospital escape, probably could still be classed in that scene, but when they're outside under yes. the rain, yes. and he has to move from, like, cover to cover, or else mm-hmm. you'll see, like, the rain dripping off the suit. Yeah. And when she gets, like, to the to the upturned, like, car, like, the, 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 the trunk, trunk is lid, and she's, like, hot, hunkering under there. And he's like right there next to her, and he grabs her. Oh, oh my god! Made me jump. That w- that was a great jump scare right there. Oh yeah. Uh, um, but speaking of jump scares, I forgot to mention. Hands down, the best jump scare was when she's in the attic. Yes. Throws yes. the paint on him. <laughs> oh my god! I jumped. I never I jumped so high. I never considered it because like, I I felt like he would be there. Yeah, but he was like inches from her face. Yes, because like. It shows that one shot from her looking from the attic, and she's looking down. Yeah, and, and you think camp- maybe that's, like, a, a reaction. Like, that's his perspective shot, Yeah, right? it, it, like, you think for a second that he's all the way at the bottom of the ladder, yeah. but it really he's at the top he's of the ladder. inches from her face. Oh, my God. That, yeah. That's that's a really great <laughs> jump scare right there. Like yeah, I'm not one a, of the best jump scares I've ever seen. I'm I, not a huge fan. Oh, go sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, I don't get. I was. I probably were about to say the same thing. I'm not a huge fan of just the cliche jump scare. Mm-hmm. I typically don't get caught out by those. But man, did that one get me. When it's done well, it's great. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I'm exactly with you right there. I just hate like you know, in a lot of different horror movies today. You know, it's just like the same thing over and over again. You know, like. You know, so like looking in the mirror, you see something there, you look back and then you look back again and it's not there. You know, yeah. it's those kinds of scares. It's like, all right, whatever. But this one. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I thought that was great. Yeah, and this one had it really took advantage of the the world it set itself into because mm-hmm. it, it, it be, there's so many more unique ways you can approach a jump scare when the person who's doing the scare is invisible. Yeah. Like yeah. you can really bend the rules and and bring jump scares in situations where you'd never expect it. Definitely. Like the, the restaurant scene. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And then uh, the last two I have, uh, final dinner scene. So, yeah, totally with yeah, you there. Great one. My winner, I mean, it's so close between so many different scenes. Like there are so many scenes in this one where I'm like, oh, that could be my favorite one. That could be my favorite one. Yeah. We haven't spent any time on it, but I'd, I'd like to right now if that's okay with you. That first opening escape scene, I mean, we keep saying this movie is a masterclass in a lot of things. That scene is an absolute masterclass in how to build suspense. It's, Which the scene in the hospital you're saying? No, the very the first opening scene where she's escaping oh, from the house. Yes. Like that right there is probably the most Hitchcockian type of filmmaking that I've seen since Hitchcock. I mean, it's so good and we keep saying in Elizabeth Moss's performance, she's so good at not having to say anything, just her facial expressions and how she reacts to certain things, how she's trying to just make as little noise as possible. Mm-hmm. It's just so good. And another quick jump scare. It's not even a jump scare because you can see it coming. When he runs out of the woods. That part too, but also when she's running through the hallway and she kicks the dog oh, bowl the over. Oh, the dog bowl, yeah. That part, like I could see it coming. The dog bowl's right there and I could see that she's yeah. running towards it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And then she hits it and it still just scares the bejesus out of me every single and time. And the car alarm that goes off too. Yes. I, I I have a small I have a small nit to pick with that one, oh, really? but so, so I'll just I'll just say right now, I have a hard time believing that the dog just kind of bumping the car a little bit would set off the alarm. That's the only small nit that I have to pick with this movie. It's like okay, all right, a little bit, but yeah. it seems like a bit of a stretch, but it's okay. To it's me, I, I rationalize that by saying like this house is under such intense lockdown and control. Yeah, that maybe he has some like 
some like heightened sensors just all so right. that he can manage micromanage every single aspect of her life. All right, that makes sense. That makes That's, sense. That was my rationalization of it. Yeah. That, okay, that makes sense. All right. You, 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 okay, you got me there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, best line. Do you have anything for this one? Uh, like best line or best quote or something like that. Hmm. Um. Obvi- there's the obvious choice of the final dinner scene mm-hmm. when, um, I forget exactly what Adrian says, but. He's he's talking to her and he says like surprise yes. in the same way as the, yes. the invisible man does the text and all that. I mean, it's a c- recurring yep. line throughout the whole thing. I have a similar line. I love when Cecilia says it to yep, him as he's end. laying on the floor and she just goes surprise and then oh, that's so badass right there. I think really good. Um, yeah, like I said, I love Cecilia's story, her whole monologue that she gives there. I love that one. And I also love this one when she's telling when she's talking to Tom in the hospital. She goes, "You're just the jellyfish version of him. Everything but the spine." I thought it was just such a good burn there, you know? That's, yeah, that's raw. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. That's good. Oh man. I also um with her her monologue, um one thing that I wanted to mention is I love how cuz the biggest when she's talking about the like the very little she talks about the abuse is mm-hmm. she talks about him like gaslighting her. Yes. And you know, he he constantly makes me think that I'm the one going crazy. And I love how that is like his entire purpose through the movie as well. Yeah. Like where with like a typical like monster movie, it's like the monster's trying to kill you. Yeah. But with him, he's just trying to mess up her life. He's trying to make her think she's guilty of things that she's not guilty of. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he he punches the, the little girl and makes it seem like she's the one that hit her. Yeah. He slices her sister's throat and makes it seem like she's the one who did it. And because he's not there, it's become so hard for her to believe that, you know, it almost there becomes a point where it starts to seem like she might actually be believing that yeah. she's at fault here. Definitely. And I just love how that works so perfectly with her monologue about how intensely he gaslights her totally, during the relationship. Totally agree. To go off of that a little bit, yeah, I love it, it, so we've been talking a little bit about modern day horror movies, you know, kind of supernatural type of movies. Mm-hmm. In a way, it doesn't make any sense for the ghost or for the demon or whatever to kind of just do be doing these small things to mess with people, you know. Just yeah, that's some such bumps. a cliche in horror movies. It's like if you were a ghost, like trying to kill someone, you're not gonna like jingle the bells and make it all eerie and ominous, like yeah. But this, it actually makes sense. It totally that's makes sense. Yeah. Yes, because he's trying to break her down exactly. little by little. And he's trying to make her lose her own sanity, you know, and make the story more believable that she is going crazy. So I love that you brought that up. I thought yeah. that was great. Um, but yeah, uh, as, in terms of best character, my personal, Cecilia, I thought she, I think she's oh, yeah. amazing. There's Elizabeth no Moss is awesome. Yeah. I do, I, I do like your argument, though, about uh, Adrian. He's just so good in those final few minutes, you know. But for me, I think I'm gonna edge it out a little bit. Give it a uh, give it to Cecilia. Cassidy. Oh yeah, I, I definitely agree. I just I like to note how yes, well yeah. they wrote Adrian's final scene. Yes, definitely. It really is so off putting. It is with very how kind and heartwarming and yes. caring and let me take care of you. Exactly. Sure you're okay. Exactly. It's really just is so. Creepy. It's just like oh, I, I hate this guy so much because yeah, you so know slimy. what he's, he's you know what he's doing the whole time. It's yeah. just like oh my gosh, I hate you so much. Yeah, and it's so great because you can tell in that scene that finally 
she's not buying it. She's yeah. not buying into it one bit. She outmanipulates the master manipulator. Exactly. You know? As soon as he says, that should come as no surprise. That's the line. Yes, that's the line. Is she? That's her confirmation right there. She's like, oh, yep. you son of a bitch. You know? <laughs> like, yep. I, I, know, I know what you're doing now. So that's when she goes to the bathroom and then she brings out uh, Chekhov's air duct right there and she gets the suit out of there. Again, set up, payoff, super well written there. I mean, yep. so many different parallels throughout this whole thing. And she finally gets her revenge. And a little bit, a small change there to the camera work. Once again, I love the moment before Adrian is killed. It shows a, a shot of him just sitting at the table. And then it shows a shot at the other side of the table and it's completely empty. It literally is the exact same kind of style yep. that uh, Lee Winnell has been doing the entire movie with Cecilia. Like she, he does those similar types of shots. Yeah, he like, sets up like a two character shot. Just and leaves one character spot empty. As soon as you see that empty chair, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, she's invisible now, isn't she? Yep. And then you see what happens, it's... and you're like, yes. <laughs> yeah, I love when it's so hard to do, but when cinematographers can create almost like a motif yeah. in a style of shot and have that style of shot imply something because it's been ingrained into your memory. So exactly. Much. Exactly. Totally, totally agree. Gosh, how did it not get an Oscar? I know. We keep talking about it. It's like, how did the Academy not recognize these guys? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so going on to some behind-the-scenes knowledge and just some fun facts. We've talked a lot about some of these right here. You know, uh, a little bit about the robotic camera setup. Basically, yeah, like they would have a computer or like an iPad or something like that, and they would set up like the timestamps for this camera to move. So like at three seconds, it's going to move here. At eight seconds, it's going to move there, and it's going to tilt up a little bit or whatever, you know. It's just to make the, just to make the fight scenes seem a little bit more. It's so it's so new, and it's just so good there, you know. And like I said, it was kind of like marching band for the actors, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, like, uh, uh, either the director or the cinematographer would be off camera basically giving them, keeping them in time at one and uh, two and uh, three. And on certain beats, they had to move at certain places, so, like, and then they would work with the wiring. So, like, on a certain beach, she would be lifted up and then moved up against the wall and stuff like that. And it was just so good. Gosh, that's got to be so hard. I know. To, to be so conscious of hitting every mark, but then also to make it look natural. Yes. Like, how do you even act in a in a setting like that I where know. you have to be constantly thinking about, all right, now I've got to move to this exact mark and this exact mark. Oh, and I also another have to be testament. acting. Yeah, another testament to Elizabeth Moss's <laughs> exactly. acting. She's, she's just so freaking good. Yeah. Uh, I wonder how many takes that shot took. It, I, been... it had to take days to get Honestly, done. Yeah. I, I don't think there's a certain uh, fact or anything like that on the internet, not at least that I could find at yeah. least. But yeah, that had to take so long to get done. I can't imagine how long it took. Uh, but yeah, uh, so another fun thing about uh, camera work and cinematography, actually a fun fact, do you remember the scene where she passes out at the job interview? Yes. Apparently. Yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, I'm just, yeah, continue on. I'm just saying I, re- I remember that scene, yes. Uh, so apparently, you know how the camera follows her her head as she goes down yeah, and hits the floor? Down, yeah. Apparently that was all done practically. So, like, there's no robotic camera in this one. It's actually the cinematographer with the camera, and apparently he just followed her head, and he actually fell on the floor with her. So, wow. like, Elizabeth Moss actually fell on the floor, and the, and the camera guy just followed her and took the camera down to the floor and it's apparently all done practically and i thought that was just super cool yeah that's risky man for one shot risking what was that probably a hundred thousand dollar camera he's oh, just no. jumping onto the floor with it. i know yeah <laughs> that's risky i know it totally is it totally is uh another quick fact uh oliver jackson cohen plays adrian in the movie apparently 
uh, like you were saying earlier at the top of the show, yeah, there's a guy, if you look at the behind-the-scenes footage, there's a guy in a green screen, uh, green screen suit. Apparently, Oliver Jackson Cohen is in that suit, and he actually is playing oh, wow. the in- Invisible Man there. It's not like a stunt guy. I'm sure there were some shots where it was a stunt, uh, a stunt double, but apparently for a majority of the shots, Oliver Jackson Cohen is actually in the green morph suit playing the invisible man so like he's not just in that final scene he actually is still there technically so yeah that's crazy because you i mean you would never know that as no, the audience no like, you wouldn't no way to know yeah there's no clue you yeah. could you could think that oliver jackson cohen was literally on set for like three days and yeah. that was all he needed to do i get it, that's commitment it, it's total commitment and it, it also probably brought since he was he he got himself into the character he may i mean this might be a stretch but he might have been able to alter Maybe his physical acting a bit, just to get yeah. it a little deeper, a little yeah. more, more in tune with the character. I'm not really sure. Have but, fun with it, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and then one final fun fact, kind of more of an Easter egg, really. Um, did you notice anything in the background? It's a very specific scene. So I, oh man! I, but uh, the scene where Cecilia takes the guy's car and drives away. There's actually a fence in the background. Did you notice if there was something on the fence in the background? Oh, I'm really trying to conjure up the image in my mind <laughs> of that shot. I know what shot you're talking about, but I I can't recall what's on the, the fence. It's really interesting because apparently Lee Winnell does this all the time in a lot of his other movies, but there is a spray-painted image of Billy the Puppet from uh, from the Saw no universe way. on the background. As she drives away, it's just so faint. You can, you can barely see it. The headlight just barely gets it as she drives off. But yeah, it's there on That's the fence awesome. in the background. I love that. Uh, yeah, for those of you who don't know, uh, Billy the Puppet is the mascot for the Jigsaw Killer, who is the main antagonist in uh, in uh, Lee Winnell and James Wan's debut film, Saw, like we were talking about at the top of the show. Yeah, the little little guy who rides the little yep the, the tricycle there the tricycle <laughs> super super creepy. <laughs> I, I love that actually. I wish I need to go back and just just to rewatch just to notice that. I uh, love. There's no reason to do that. It's yeah. just so fun. It's just a fun thing. Yeah. It's just a fun thing to see. You know, fun little connection. I know exactly exactly. Uh, Okay. I mean, you already answered my... I already talked about my only nitpick that I had there with uh, the dog bumping the car and setting off the alarm. That was the only thing oh, that yeah. I had there. Um, but yeah, do you have any other like specific uh, questions about the movie or anything? Like, any, Do you have any nits that you have to pick with this movie? Um, I, don't, I don't really have any criticisms. Um, one thing that I've still been trying to figure out since I watched it mm-hmm. is um, which scenes are Adrian in the suit, which scenes are... Um, Nick, right? His brother Nick. Uh, or, uh, Tom. 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 His, which scenes are Adrian? Which scenes are Tom? And which scenes are they both there? Mm-hmm. Because after you figure out that they're they've both been working together to do this, yeah, you can go back and you can try and like piece together. You know, do you have any like comments or ideas on on which scenes you think maybe they both were present in? We on, talked about the restaurant. But. We did. We did. I mean. The only other scene that I can think of is when Cecilia is getting interrogated by the police and by James. And by the way, Aldous Hodge is incredible in this movie, too, playing James. He's so good, too. We haven't talked nearly enough about him. I mean, he does a phenomenal job, too. He's great. Uh, But that that scene where they're interrogating her, there are some shots with some negative space. And I feel like that might be one because she also says it. She's like, I can't tell you what I have because he's listening, you Mm -hmm. know. That scene's meant to look like she's crazy, but we all know that she's not. And so it's just that that one, I definitely think that he's there. 
because I definitely I definitely agree that he would be there in that moment so he knows yeah. like, what she's telling the police. I'm also thinking maybe the um, escape from the hospital scene mm-hmm. when he's fighting off all of the cops. Yeah. There maybe I was thinking maybe they both could be there. Yeah. Possibly. Definitely. Oh, there was another one while well, you uh you, you made me think of it actually with that. The final scene where she kills Tom. Oh yeah. I definitely think they're both there when they go to attack Sydney, the daughter, and also James, because there's one moment where Sydney sprays the pepper spray and it hits whoever's there and he hits the desk, you know, and she runs past him. But as soon as she gets out to the hallway, she's taken down by another guy. Oh, that's true. So yeah. I feel like there had to have been both of them there and not just one. And so I. I oh, man. So that would mean that Adrian watched. Cecilia definitely. murder his brother. If he was. That does make sense. Yeah, I Absolutely. love the pepper spray. The pepper spray bit. Oh yeah, it was so funny. I love the first time that she brings it out and she's like shaking yeah. the pepper spray bottle. And James is like, "Who are you going to spray? There's nobody <laughs> here." I mean, there probably is someone there, but yeah. I just love that line so much. It was a, a small bit of comedy there that I really liked. Yeah. You know, speaking sure. of which, actually, in that scene, I'm super jealous of Aldous Hodge right there. His triceps are freaking <laughs> ripped. Oh my gosh! Yeah, like I was, I was thinking. You started talking, and I was like, "Where's he going with this? Point? Where's he <laughs> going here?" Completely oh, off yeah. topic. Oh, yeah. Completely off topic. Because like he leans over, and he's like talking to her, and he has the biggest triceps I've ever seen on a human Glistening being. In the moonlight. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I was like, "What the heck? How long had he been? How long had he been training for that role?" It's crazy. That's hilarious. Oh, uh, okay. So a couple final questions that I've got for you. Do you think that this film has the potential to become a classic in the horror genre? Ooh, that's a great question. I hope so. I really hope so too. Yeah. Um, I I think that there's like the very beginnings of a new wave of horror movies that finally realize that you can take the horror genre and still make an incredibly deep narrative that is still a horror movie. Absolutely. Um, like The Babadook. I don't know if you've seen that movie. I have not, oh. and I need to. I yeah. know I need to, actually. That's a great movie. It's a, it's very scary, very suspenseful, but it also has a fantastic narrative mm-hmm. um, and tells a very important, uh, very important story. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully this kind of new wave of horror tra- catches on. And if it does, I hope that this movie can be looked back at in, the, like, couple decades and say like this was one of the first that really started this new wave of horror movies definitely and i mean i totally agree with that it seems like we're in a new wave of horror right now too because of like i said jason blum and blumhouse uh productions but also production uh, studios like a24 a24 is making some great great horror movies incredible movies and they've got a new one coming out later this month actually shoot what's it called um oh shoot i can't remember it's uh like uh, it's like either has something to do with like lambs or sheep or goats or something. I can't remember what it is, I, it, but it it does look really good. I want to try and see if I can see it. Uh, but yeah, A twenty four is just been producing so many like weird and original types of movies. Yeah, I want to look at A twenty four. Like anytime that somebody says like there's no such thing as original storytelling anymore, like all Hollywood is is just remakes and reboots oh, and stuff like that. A twenty four is a great one to point to. Yeah, point them to A twenty four and also point them to this movie too. It is both a remake, a sequel, whatever you want to call it, but it makes it its own. Like mm-hmm. we've been saying, you 100%. know, it takes the premise and it makes it its own. It makes it totally original and it it totally succeeds and it does a great job with it. You know. Um, okay, so final question: Why do you? What's your favorite part about this movie and why do you like this movie so much? 
Well, um, I think my favorite overarching part of this movie has got to be how much it d- destroyed my expectation of it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I've as I've been saying before, I came into it thinking it was just going to be, you know, your typical slasher, not too deep, kind of cliche. Yeah. And the fact that it just totally flipped that that narrative on its on its head and um, just completely surprised me is what I like most about it for sure. Definitely. Kept to- me on the edge of my seat the entire time. Totally agree. Totally agree. One of the best horror movies, I think, is probably going to be of this decade. I know it was just released in 2020. I know it's very early. Yeah, set but, the bar very high for 2020 horror movies. Yes, it set the bar immensely high. I mean, you know, Hereditary was an incredible movie. I think it's just as good as Hereditary. I love that movie. You know, there's so many great ones. The Lighthouse, right after that. Uh, it's just, as we've been saying, I think we're in a new wave of horror movies, and I really, really like it, and I think it's going to be really good for the genre, too. Yeah, uh, one I'm really looking forward to is uh, Last Night in Soho. Yes, That's, yes. I'm really, I've got high hopes for that to fill this kind of new wave horror-esque genre that's kind of starting to come in. I'm really I, excited. I'm very excited about that one, too. I'm so glad you brought that up. I'm very excited about that one as well. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, Morgan, was there anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to, to, to talk about just a little bit? I don't think so. I think we had a really good conversation about this movie. Absolutely. I'm really satisfied. Absolutely. I am so glad that you were able to come on for this one. It yeah, was a thank great you one. So much. Do you have anything that you want to plug for the audience? Anything that you have coming up that you want to advertise out here? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I've got a short film that I made. Okay. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. You guys should all watch it. It's called The Stray Dog on YouTube. You can look it up. Awesome. Um, awesome. I'll definitely check it out. Follow me on Instagram, um, Morgan Ludd. Morgan Ludd. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. That was actually going to be my next question. <laughs> I'm not too good at plugs, but uh, nope. there's that. You're good. You're good, man. All right. Well, Morgan, thank you so much for coming on the show. I think you just realized earlier that you were my second guest. Thank you so much for being willing to come on the show. Thank you for talking with me. Yeah, thank you course. for your time, man. Yeah, thank you. And thank you all so much for listening to the show. Special thanks to Andrew Briggs, our producer, IUS TV, for giving us a platform to, get, uh, to produce this show. And thank you all once again for tuning in. And before we go, I want to go ahead and tease the next movie that we have coming up next week. Next week, spooky season finally comes to a close as we tackle perhaps probably the most self-aware movie ever made. It's a slasher film that decided to flip the genre on its head by acknowledging the rules and the tropes that had become stale up, up to that point. With big stars in front of the camera and a master of the genre behind it, this film set out to change the way audiences viewed horror movies, and boy, did it succeed. After this movie's release, studios, writers, and directors all tried to get in on the fun by copying this style so much that meta-ness in itself became yet another bland trope of the genre. With all these other, uh, while all these other movies could try, no other film could quite balance the comedy and the scares quite like this one did. I'm sure a lot of you already know what this movie is. I don't want to give it away right now, but I guarantee a lot of you can guess it. So if you can, try and watch the movie before next week, and we will see you guys next time. Thank you all so much for tuning in to Cinemaniacs, and we will see you next time. <laughs>